0: Hi there, welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. I'm your host, Lisa Schlossberg, a licensed social worker, certified health coach, personal trainer, and yoga instructor. If you, like I have, struggle with your relationship with food, eating, and body image, I am here with this podcast to guide you into healing the relationship you have with yourself through a trauma-informed, holistic, and mind-body-soul approach. Together, we can support you in building a lifestyle of more peace, freedom, safety, and power. I'm giddy.
1: I'm giddy. I'm excited.
0: I'm nervous. I'm so many things right now. <laughs> um, okay, so welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm sitting here with, wow, what do I even call you? I can call you Elise because that's your name. I can call you a role model in a lot of ways. Um,, uh, I will use the word mentor if I can. I will call you a friend. I will call you um, just another like, Divine soul that feels really magical that I have had the opportunity to be in the presence of a few times now in person um, and have been following on social media in some degree for hmm, maybe five years at least. So I have all the feelings being here right now. (laughs) And okay, so that's the context of where we're coming from. This is someone who I have followed for a long time and now have gotten to know personally and have worked with in a few ways personally. And I'm just really honored that I get to share you, Elise, with my people because I think this is going to be an extraordinarily fruitful conversation if it's anything like everything else that I have received from you so that's the context people buckle up I think we're in for a really really good one and that's that's what I will say for right now Elise I will have you introduce yourself hello welcome to the out of the cave podcast (laughs) how are you and who are you Elise who are you what are you where are you what would
1: we what do you want us to know about you oh my goodness here we go buckle up kiddos we're going on a journey first off what an incredible intro I feel like you just like rolled a red carpet out that's like (laughs) the visual that I got so thank you I'm really excited to be here and for the conversation we're about to explore together so much excitement I'll also name there feels like nervous butterflies so yay human feelings okay so my name is Elise And yes, I have been documenting my life journey on social media almost for a decade. I think it's been eight or nine years now, which is wild. So in the very beginning, that started as my physical health journey, focused on nutrition and movement and the physical things. And then as the years progressed, I became very interested in and obsessed with mindset and manifestation and how our brain works and all of that goodness. And then the last few years has taken another shape and form, another season, which has been more focused on emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, energetics. <clears throat> and um, the last four years or so, I've been studying a what do I even call it? I've been studying something called the survival patterns and that's kind of what we're going to be exploring today. So, and I feel like we're probably going to touch on like all these different chapters of my journey, um, just in relationship with food and all of that too. But yeah, in addition to sharing my life, I've been a life coach. I host retreats in Hawaii where I used to live. I have a golden doodle and Yeah, we're doing the human thing. It's quite a journey. So that's me. Amazing. Thank you for
0: sharing all that. And it's cool too, because it's like, I know these things about you, but it's interesting to hear it in this format because I think that's another thing that like you and I have in common is that for me, I started as a personal trainer and it was like very like physical. It was like the Mm -hmm. body and movement and nutrition and then i became a health coach and it was like more mental and just like inner world and then i mm-hmm. got my masters in social work and it was more mm-hmm. like the emotional well-being and then this kind of spiritual element so it's cool because there's that almost like parallel journey of our last decades yeah in some ways looking really similar mm-hmm. and i don't know the details so i'm excited to just like kind of dive into the personal story and then we'll get to all the juicy stuff Okay, cool. So when you started sharing your life on social media, was that YouTube for
1: you? It was, oh my gosh, it was every social media platform. (laughs) Everyone. I remember like at the time my brother was like really into business and I wasn't, I was just like, I'm going to share my journey. And he's like, he's like, think of it like a fishing rod. Like you're casting all these like hooks and those are all the different platforms and if you want to reach as many people then you got to be on all the platforms so I was sharing everywhere but YouTube felt always feels like my like home platform like the main one
0: yeah and what year was that
1: 2013 or 14 okay yeah
0: and when it all began what were you exploring experimenting with that you were excited to share with the world
1: The exciting things to share came after a very dark, challenging time. And so, I mean, when I started sharing on social media, it was like I had just made this decision that I'm going to turn my life around because I'm unhealthy, I'm struggling with my relationship with food and alcohol and drugs and people, and it was just really rough. And so I had this wake-up call experience where – I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this isn't who I am. This isn't what i meant to live. And so I purged like everything from my life that fell out of alignment. So the people I was connecting with, the accounts that I was following online, the food that I was eating, I went raw vegan overnight. And I started meditating and affirmations and like all these things to start caring for myself more intentionally it was a bit rigid, like all or nothing. And for me, it worked to get me out of where I was with so much contrast within a few weeks. I was like, whoa, I feel great. Let me share. So that was where I was creating from. Mm, cool.
0: Where were you living at the time?
1: I was in Atlanta, Georgia, or uh-huh. specifically Marietta, Georgia.
0: Okay. I was yeah. like, that That had to be on the East Coast somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you don't mind sharing, what in back then, before things started changing, what did like the day-to-day kind of look like for you? What were the things that you identified not working?
1: Oof, it was rough. So I was living with my best friend, roommate at the time. That was working, but we were both navigating food struggles, body struggles together. And we're kind of like, buddies in it and so that it's like on the surface we're health buddies but like what was really happening was like it was just getting really deep in that struggle and yeah so I mean I was trying to restrict and it was coming out sideways and I was overeating overeating on sweets on all the things Um, and I just felt so out of control and like helpless and hopeless. And I felt like I was doing something wrong because my friend at the time, like she had more quote unquote willpower. And so she was sticking to things just that little bit better than me. And I'm like, why can't I do this? Like, why do I keep having, why, why am I overeating? Yeah. So that was, that was a challenge day in, day out. I mean, food and my body was literally all consuming my thoughts. And then, yeah, I would go out and I would drink and I would eat things that didn't feel good. So my my whole being just felt like trash. It felt very unhealthy. I wasn't caring for myself. And I was just really, really stuck in that. And then I would follow like, oh my gosh, back in the days when I was on Tumblr, I would follow these accounts where it's just thin spo situation. And so that's what I was filling my mind and my reality with and I was just really in that paradigm of this is all there is and I'm struggling with it and I was going to a health focused school trying to be a health and life coach and that's where my heart was and I'm like why am I struggling with this so bad and then yeah just people that I was with weren't weren't like healthy influences so it was all the layers there
0: yeah okay thank you for sharing that Yeah. Tumblr robot. Yeah. No, I I hear you. And then, okay. So I also just want to be mindful because I have a tendency to like, when I hear stuff like this, I want to know, like, I want to go all the way back. I want to like, know, you know, so I don't want to go like too deep into your entire childhood and things Mm -hmm. because I want to, again, be mindful to, to share what we are here to share. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm curious if you're open to, just sharing a little bit about, do you know where that started for you? Like mm-hmm. where that preoccupation with body and food began?
1: Hmm. I don't recall a specific moment, but I know that it had the patterning of a, like looking and appearing a certain way. And I remember that like, uh, just as young as I can even remember, just wanting to look right and appear right and fit in and like the things the other girls were wearing at school and they all had this jacket and they were popular and I wanted the jacket and so like just all those little patternings I remember that. Yeah. Um I also know that the upbringing that I had was more on the rigid side and we'll kind of get into that as we start talking about the patterning but very much like I grew up in Connecticut we are proper. We are a certain way. We keep it all together. We have to appear this way on the surface. So that felt like the origin Yeah. as far as I remember.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you say that. And, and I'm glad I asked, honestly, because I always think it's important when I'm talking to people, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this and a lot of people that I've worked with, it's like, you know, for me, well, mm-hmm. I was, I was overweight my whole childhood. Like I was like twice the size as everyone in the room for as long as I could remember, you know? So it's it's like, where did it start? Well, that's where it started. But I think it's always important to just share the story Mm -hmm. of people who are like, I didn't have a moment. I didn't have like a doctor or like a bully or like a weight problem or any Mm -hmm. of that stuff. Because what you're speaking to is being a product of an environment. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people, I know we'll talk more about it, have these patterns and struggles and habits and things that don't originate from like a single traumatic event or a single mm-hmm. moment or a single comment. But just being being in the world that they lived in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's always just so important because of how present it is in our culture and in our society and how much it infiltrates the brain mm-hmm. of someone who has never had a quote unquote weight issue. Mm-hmm. It can get to a point where it still becomes every single thought you have in a day, yeah. you know? And I just, I, I always think it's, it's just important to, you know, acknowledge that and call mm-hmm. that out. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, you start sharing your journey because you're inspired to let the world know that you feel a lot better than you did before. Mm-hmm. So, at that point, you say you went raw vegan overnight. Is that when that happened?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what inspired you to do that?
1: Well, little me at the time in college, I'm watching YouTube and I see this woman and her channel and her like everything is so vibrant it's raw fruits and vegetables it's like the rainbow it's just so abundant and colorful and coming from where I was resting in myself feeling like very blah like that's how I would describe it and seeing that I'm like ooh, what's that all about and of course she has this lean body so that was kind of like a doorway for me of like, oh, like my mind is still fixated on that's so how I want to look, but it was also connected with feeling better. And so I'm like, oh, if I can look that way and feel better instead of the rut that I'm in with trying to like, but basically it was just very harmful to myself. And that felt attractive to me. And so I got inspired. She had been eating that way for years. And I'm like, okay, like, someone can do this like let's do it and so I cleared out my pantry but I was still living with my my friend and roommate who wasn't eating that way but I was committed and so yeah I went on that journey it was interesting I don't know how familiar familiar you are with raw vegan diet but like you need a lot of you need a lot of fruit like so like my 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 stomach had to expand to take in this amount of fruit. So in a way, it was like I was overeating every single meal. That's what it felt like to my body. So in a way, it was like that familiar feeling that I was still getting. Yeah. But then less calories and <clears throat> quote unquote healthier food.
0: Right. Cool. So <laughs>
1: It's so interesting talking about it now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I also, again, I just want to like point out, I think it's really cool how, and and I'm interested to hear how it all unfolds and like evolves from this point, but I just think it's important to, to just take the little piece of like, when you're motivated by like, ooh, I want to look that way, but then it's also this doorway into something, something else that's like, mm-hmm. and it's also paired with feeling better. And I think there's something important about that. That is like, you know, that kind of there's some nuance
1: there. So,
0: okay, you do how long, how long you raw vegan for?
1: It was like an on and off thing for like three or four years. Okay. So, like, I mean, I would try and be raw vegan and then like there would be chocolate and then I would be raw vegan and then I would have like a piece of pizza and then I was fully vegan, no longer eating other things, like all these different layers. And I also was like high carb raw vegan, where like you don't eat nuts and seeds, you just eat fruit. And then I was also high fat raw vegan, where you don't eat much fruit, but you eat a lot of nuts and seeds. And then like there, and I also went like mono meals, like mono meal raw vegan means like you're eating just a meal of watermelon or just a meal of mango because it's quote, it's like easier to digest. And then I would do coconut water fasts and like 21 day juice fast and like I went down 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 the rabbit hole and it was fun like I mean it was fun and also challenging yeah but I learned so, from it all right so that's
0: what I'm curious about is just and again I know there's so much more that comes after this but like for those few years that you're doing this mm-hmm. what's it like for you like how are you feeling
1: mm-hmm. yeah so I think like when I remember that time in my life there was there was a couple things happening so one there was the wanting to look a certain way <clears throat> two there I'm trying to remember back to that point i mean i don't need to remember the, the exact order but there was also a level of wanting to feel better like my health has has been a lifelong struggle for me um with allergies with digestive issues i think that was like the heart of a lot of those years as a vegan um and now like if i'm being totally honest like i don't have the best digestion in the world and that's still a journey for me um so at that time that's what drove me to explore a mono meal diet like are you kidding me who's interested in eating just papaya for a whole meal or a whole day or a whole week somebody who probably is, has a driving factor. For me, it was, I don't want to be bloated. I don't want to feel this gas and this pain and discomfort when I'm living, trying to live my life. And also like, I want to look the way that my parents and society told me I should look in order to receive love. Mm -hmm. So that was the undertone. And then on the surface, it was more like, Wow, oh, the fruit, it's so vibrant and so beautiful and it tastes so good. And I moved to Hawaii and this feels like amazing. But there were still like moments and times where I'm like, ooh, digestion got really worse again. Let me try this other thing. Mm. Or like, oh, here's how my body is looking. Like, let me try this other thing.
0: Yeah. Okay. So when you were going through this, when you were, let's say, in that place of like, I'm raw vegan, but like, there's a piece of chocolate or I'm raw vegan, but I want a piece of pizza. Was your relationship with that kind of fluid and flowy? Like, yeah, I'll have a piece of pizza. Like who cares?
1: No, no. No, I hated myself at that time. That was before I moved to Hawaii. That was when I was still in Georgia and I'm like just starting this new lifestyle, but really dove in like intensely. So my body, my body, mind, every part of me wasn't used to it. And so it was like what I would call a relapse and it was just very intense and I was mad and then I would exercise and eat better. And that's, we call it like orthorexic where you're like over, overpowering or like having it go the other direction. And it was like self punishment. So definitely not fluid. Yeah. Yeah, that's the more recent chapter.
0: I was going to say I'm like I can hear it in you, like I know that part of you, but that's why I ask. And mm-hmm. so it's it's also interesting because I think again, something I'm familiar with and a lot of people probably listening to this are familiar with is like trying different diets for the sole purpose of weight loss.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and having it be, you know, again, something I talk a lot about is it's not about what you're doing, it's about the energy with which you're doing it. And mm-hmm. and so you know, I love the way that you say, like on the surface, it's like, these are healthy foods and they're so vibrant and I'm Mm -hmm. in Hawaii and like, all of this is great. Mm -hmm. But underneath that is still kind of the energy of like running from a predator. It's like, Mm -hmm. I can't look this way. I can't have this happen. This has to be gone. And it's ultimately the energy of fear, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, so again, just very relatable. That is, I think a lot of things get disguised as wellness culture and mm-hmm. actually are that same energy so mm-hmm. okay so this goes on for a few years um you're sharing all of this on social media
1: i'm sharing on the surface right because i myself am not even letting myself be aware of the struggle like that i was really having with digestion and how i wanted to look right so yeah i'm sharing it all okay. i'm like here's what i eat in a day. These are the nori wraps and (laughs) cashew cheese. And like, I loved it. It was so fun. So yeah, I'm sharing all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, almost everything that I was eating was documented in some way.
0: How did it feel for you to do that?
1: I mean, at the time, I was excited. I loved it. I'm like, I'm like, I'm a little monkey living in Hawaii. Look at this giant mango and avocado. I'm going to eat it right in my hand and not even cut it up. Like it was just a whole thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there was also the feedback loop of people who are living on the mainland or not in the Island. And they're like, Whoa, like that's so alternative and radical. And this girl has dreadlocks and this is a whole thing. And so there was there was also a thing happening where i'm getting some needs met or my ego is like the world is excited by this i'm excited about this it was just this whole like yeah. thing that all happened very fast now looking back now that i've slowed down and regulated i look back at that and i'm like i was an energizer bunny eating mango sharing it with like a million people and i don't even know if i was aware of what i was really doing
0: yeah, yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's mm-hmm. really cool cuz again, I to me this feels like very similar to my weight loss. Mm. It was like I lost a lot of weight really quickly
1: mm-hmm. and
0: like on the surface it was like I feel great and I'm super happy and I feel this and I feel that and and like there was no awareness Yet there was no connection to what was really happening. Yeah. Which is I was terrified. I was terrified mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. that fear drove me in in so many ways. But it was a similar, like, but everyone is so excited by this. And yeah. and that took me out of my my body and my own experience and my own stress and my own my own digestive issues. Am I might like all this stuff mm-hmm. that was going on internally, I could just pretend wasn't happening because look how much, look how much yeah. excitement there is at this thing that I'm doing. And like, it's, you know, it, it like, you know, on the surface, it can look very different, but mm-hmm. I can just really personally relate to a lot of
1: mm-hmm. what you're sharing
0: and kind of the energy behind a lot of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's like, quote-unquote problem solved right but like where it was solved from it, it it just it wasn't there was still a thing happening
0: right I would say yeah. I solved one problem by creating another yeah and that's what it felt like
1: mm-hmm. so
0: all right so you're raw vegan this whole thing is going on for a few years and then and then what comes next what's like the next chapter
1: oh well <laughs> let me tell you <laughs> So next. Um, Well, my health was not as good as I thought it was. And part of it was, was likely diet, part of it was likely that I was living in a house with black mold. And I just, I started to lose my appetite. I was already eating raw vegan. So I was losing my appetite and And I wasn't, I started, I mean, like I wasn't getting enough nutrients and this lasted a while. This was probably like a year span. The house that I was in with mold was for eight months before I left. So my health, it was a thing. I left that home. Um, I started working with a naturopath and started detoxing from the mold and candida at the time. And I started feeling better, much better at that point. That's where I switched to like a higher fat raw vegan or maybe I was eating kale and and quinoa at that time anyway (laughs) I started to feel better but about eight months into my like detox for that well one it was really hard to my diet was just so restricted at that point Um, so even though I had more of an appetite and as I was healing it's so funny like I'm I'm watching myself as I'm talking about this. I'm actually going back into the consciousness of where I was at that time, Mm -hmm. where I where I was so caught up in the details. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I hear it's like it's like a glitch
1: in the matrix. I'm like, wait, I don't, I don't reference the details, but I'm like going back into it. So, yeah, basically, I've reached a point where my cognition still wasn't back online. Like, I still didn't have a great memory. I wasn't able to communicate that was one of the things with the with how I was feeling in the mold. Like I I really couldn't communicate well. Like it felt like my brain wasn't there. And so at the time I had a bunch of friends who were going from being vegan from like five, 10 years to eating carnivore. And they all had their own unique thing where like One of them was a musician and he wasn't able to remember the notes and then he went carnivore and all got better. One of them had a injury with his arm that wasn't healing and then he went carnivore and it healed and everyone had their own story. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm like the world's second largest vegan influencer. Oh boy. But I was really struggling and I reached a point where I was just willing to give it a try. Because I had done the detox, I had done every variation of vegan, raw vegan, and I just felt really under-resourced. And I just wanted to feel like myself so that I could do what at the time was like the main thing giving me purpose in life, which was inspiring other people. And so I'm like, how can I do this if I'm struggling and still my brain's not online? So I went carnivore. I started with a meal of salmon and I woke up the next morning, and my brain felt so much more clear. Like there is no denying. I'm like, "Oh shit. like i I don't I don't actually want this to work like I do, but I don't. like I don't that was my experience. And I ended up going through with it because I started feeling better and better. So then I ate, yeah, car- mostly carnivore for a whole year. And then since then, it's been more balancing out.
0: Wow. Cool. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So carnivore for about a year. Okay. Cool. 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 Cause again, I don't want to get lost in it. I, there's, I could ask you 1 billion follow up questions about all this. Right. But yeah. So when you talk about now, it's been like balancing out. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, what, what year was that?
1: Oh gosh. 2009, 19. I was okay. carnivore.
0: Okay. So yeah. the last few years have been balancing out.
1: Mm-hmm. What does that
0: look like for you? Or what is that, what has that journey been like for you? Not necessarily, you know.
1: Yeah. Like? It's been interesting. I mean, yeah, like <laughs> when I didn't really like want to be carnivore and then I settled in, that was like really when I started listening to my, like feeling my body more because it felt, Felt like cognitively, I want to be vegan, but my body was responding and giving me signals from animal foods for like a whole year. My mind, like eight months in, I'm like, Damn, I like, I would like to be vegan again. I would like to eat kale again, and my body was just like absolutely not. Um, so that was where things started to turn, um, for me, and yeah, and then about a year in. It's funny because I I filmed a 30-day carnivore challenge at the very end of that year. And that challenge was actually like hard for me because that was when my body was starting to be like, "Hey, I'm wanting some other things now. Like I'm ready to start incorporating other foods." So, yeah, after that I started just starting to eat other things and then it was COVID time, so I started having like frozen uh, Capello's pizza and like then I started to go into this season where I dropped the health nut I dropped the wellness and I was in this season of like I'm just gonna eat whatever that was interesting and I had my own learnings from that so that was probably 2021 and then the last couple of years have just been like a slowly coming back into oh yeah but I I can listen to my body and these foods feel better. I'm like, finally feel like the pendulum swung from one side all the way to the other, all the way to a different triangle. And now we're somewhere in the middle. Another thing I'll also add, because we just went very into the details of like the food part is that years back, I went through IIN, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Me too. And- you did, yes,, yeah. <laughs> and so I learned about primary foods. That was a really big thing for me. So it wasn't just like, oh, I ate all these different diets, and eventually i I relaxed and listened to my body. But that was something that I was intentionally incorporating years and years ago, which really did make um a big difference for me, starting to notice, like, oh, yeah, there are certain areas of my life that if these aren't fulfilled, then, I'm reaching for the food more so. But if I'm intentionally looking at like, oh yeah, do I have a connection to spirit or to exercise or to these different primary foods? That was really cool to have a direct impact.
0: Yeah, I really hear you there. Can you say a little bit more about primary foods just mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening who doesn't really you know know what that means? <clears throat> when you say, yeah, what, what does that mean
1: for mm. us? So, so for me, my understanding of it was, oh, the food that I'm eating is secondary and things like meaningful connections with people, like actually feeling deeply fulfilled in my relationships and within what I'm doing and how I'm contributing in in work and career and creativity, um, exercise, movement, um, and then connection to myself, connection to the divine. Like, does that exist? Is there a wounding there? Do I feel fulfilled and interconnected in all of these other places? Those are primary foods.
0: Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. And yes, I remember similarly with IIN, Joshua, who is you know the the head of IIN. Joshua. <laughs> um it's everyone's response. Anyone who knows is just like, oh, Joshua. Um, when he would talk about how this this really struck me at the time, how he would talk about eating disorders as love disorders mm-hmm. and like a lack of love mm-hmm. and a lack of connection. And, totally. And it really start. That's where again, for me, I did IIN. As a personal trainer. And for me, it was like all nutrition and diet and the body and how we move the body and all those things. And yeah. then doing IIN was kind of the beginning of really expanding my understanding of a human being, mm-hmm. but also understanding what was going on with me, the human being, and mm-hmm. why I was in a place of. I could eat all the right food and I could work out every day and still feel so empty, unfulfilled, scared, all the things. Yeah. And having that language of, well, the food that you're feeding yourself is secondary. The primary, you know, mm-hmm. food and experience is all the other things and ultimately mm-hmm. connection to self and others and the divine or something you know, yeah. something like that. So yeah, so that's uh and and it's funny, I would imagine anyone who's like done my program or worked with me is like, oh, this is where it like came from, you know, because it's like, it's not about the food in a million ways. And yes. Okay. So thank you for sharing
1: that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I forgot all about Joshua. I love that. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: So primary foods. Okay. This kind of feels like a good segue into the patterns. Do you want a segue?
0: Yeah. So, okay. So yes. All right. So we've heard a little bit now, you know, of your personal story. You've been through so many variations of, you know, what I think, again, a lot of people listening to this have of trying to get it right
1: Mm. and
0: figure it out. And along the way, Mm. you've learned a lot and you've picked up a lot mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, and now you're at a place I will. So, okay. So here's the thing. Now we know a little about a little bit about your personal story. If we were to follow you on YouTube for a few years or follow you on Instagram the way that I have, um mm-hmm. these are the things that we would know, right? This mm-hmm. is this is what we would see. But I almost want to like reintroduce you <laughs> mm-hmm. right from like kind of what I know about where you are and what you're doing now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is also part of why I wanted you to be here mm-hmm. because I know that you have so much to share that is not based just on, you know, all the different diets that you've tried, right? Mm-hmm. And so part of the reason that I'm interested in having you be here is because I know that you've tried on a lot of these different things with diet and you've been through your own thing with your body. But when I first, the first time that I like worked with you directly in in mm-hmm. person was at your event in San Diego,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: was now, How? Two years ago?
1: Two and a half, I think. That's
0: insane. I feel like it was legitimately last weekend, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> so so we go to this event, right? And and I go because like I know you and you are here. And so one of the things that stuck with me so much, and not just at that event, but in your content, the things that you've shared since then mm-hmm. is you've talked a lot about relationships. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you talk about and I've experienced talking about things like conscious communication, setting boundaries, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: authenticity, vulnerability, Mm -hmm. and really how to show up in your relationships in a way that feels aligned. Mm -hmm. And not just relationships with people, Mm -hmm. but consciously creating your life and being in relationship with your life. And Mm -hmm. so these are things that have been really impactful and inspiring to me. And then when we talk, you and I, about being here in this episode, there's this kind of overlap of the way that we show up around people and in our relationships and the way that we show up in our relationship with food and with our body. And there's Mm -hmm. so much that like intersects and overlaps around that. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about this, you get excited to share the five personality patterns, because that's something that we can apply to all of it. Mm -hmm. Our relationship with our life and our relationship with other people, the way that we're showing up around food and our bodies. So there's so much kind of intermingled here, but that's kind of how I want to almost reintroduce maybe like the second half of this episode is Mm -hmm. to just, I want to hear almost everything you want to share about Mm -hmm. it. Because like I said, I think this would be a really fruitful discussion to have In terms of myself and everyone listening, understanding how we fit into these personality patterns and what that Mm -hmm. means for us, not Mm -hmm. just around people and relationships, but also Mm -hmm. around food and our bodies. Mm -hmm. So that's what I will use as my segue. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes. Dude, you're the best introducer, segue <laughs> creator I've ever experienced. This is so good. Yeah, like you just described something that I haven't been able to put into words as far as like that like first chapter and this current chapter. So, cool. thank you.
0: You're so welcome. Thank you.
1: Yes, I get so excited with the personality patterns. Um, I like to reference them as survival patterns but it is originally coming from the book um, by Stephen Kessler who I've had the opportunity to mentor with directly he's incredible Um, so yeah the book the five personality patterns I would write that one down now if you're listening and you're like <laughs> want to get ahead of the game we can um, link it
0: too we'll put it in the show notes
1: cool yeah. cool do you want me to just kind of give an intro into what this is yeah okay (laughs) okay so gosh i could talk for hours and hours so we're gonna we're gonna make it concise um okay so the survival pattern so it all starts when we are just entering earth just coming to earth um So basically each one of these patterns has a a stage of development that it all started at. So there's these different stages of development from when we're zero to five, seven years old. And most people are familiar with that, right? That's when we're absorbing and learning and in this brain state of hypnosis where that's where we're being impacted, but there are these certain stages of development, which I'll share just a few. We're not going to dive into every single pattern, just the ones that really feel interconnected with food, specifically with emotional and overeating. Um, or or yeah, just food. Okay, so stages of development would be like, okay, when the the baby is needing to take in and receive nourishment. So that's a stage of development. And I like the visual I have there is where there it's breastfeeding. That's the stage. That's like a perfect example of that. That is the stage that they need to reach to be able to survive, to take in nourishment and to stop when they're full and to have things go smoothly. So something we'll just kind of stick with this example all the way through. So if something doesn't go smoothly, if there's a mishap or there's struggle with breastfeeding, then that stage of development isn't completed to the best of its ability. It's, it's, it's not. And what happens there is the baby doesn't get their needs met. The little one doesn't get their needs met. And it's painful to not get your needs met. And you have to survive that pain of not having your needs met. And so there's a certain coping strategy that is interconnected with that stage of development that will help you get through that time. So in this experience, the baby gets, or the little one gets stuck in this response, like the visual that I'll have. I know that you guys are listening to this, but it's like this grasping motion where it's like, I'm, wait, I'm trying to take it in. I'm trying to reach to get my need met. And I'm trying to reach and receive. And I, I can't, there's nothing there. It's, it's not happening or it was there, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't all the way until I was full and then I could push away. So it's like, they're getting stuck in that state of grasping and reaching. It's more of like an anxious attachment too. And energetically, it feels like there's this empty void and they need somebody else. They need their caregiver to help them and that's what they get stuck in and then years later someone's 20 40 60 years old they're still in that state that's what's happening energetically underneath so that's that's one of the examples i'll share just a little bit more and then and then i'll see what you want to poke around and ask about um so that would be we'll call that the merging pattern then there's the merging compensated. So the merging compensated is basically it's from that same origin, that same stage of development. But what this person does in order to protect themselves is since it's so painful to forever being in that reaching and not getting your needs met, they'll put like a hard shell over it and be like, I'm good. I, I don't need this anymore. I'm good. I've got myself coping, complete coping strategy, survival strategy. And then they grow up to be the person that's like, I don't need anything. I'm good. How can I help you? What can I do for you? People-pleasing, caregiving. It's like the, the child that will grow up to care for the parent. And then the adult that will care for everybody else. But underneath, it's still that reaching, grasping. I, was, I didn't get the stage of development fulfilled. And so what that can look like is then turning to food, turning to all the substances, turning to people even. It's basically like that person is stuck relating to the outside world in this way. It's actually like an imprint in the energetic body and in the physical body. And then one other thing I'll share is that um, each of these patterns also has a lens that they view themselves and the world through. And there's a core belief related with that stage of development. So if it wasn't fulfilled, this person gets stuck in that I'm not enough. I can't, I can't figure it out. I need help. So those are some of the core beliefs that they'll have. Um, And the lens that they'll view through is like that they're there. And we're going to the merging, not the merging compensated is that there's like this helplessness underneath this helplessness. Like I can never like, this pit, like I can't fill it. And then the outside world has all the answers that I'm looking for. So I'll pause there. That was a lot, <laughs> but well, we can just start peeling the layers one at a yeah. time together. Okay.
0: I'm, I am processing, I'm, I'm hearing all this. So my first question, and I can tell where this is coming from internally, this is like a personal curiosity. Mm-hmm. The examples that you're providing now are around like the stage of development around breastfeeding. So mm-hmm. like, like a newborn, right? Mm-hmm. Are some of the five personality patterns things that develop later on, like at different ages?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the the latest one, the rigid pattern is about three to five years old. Tracks. <laughs> what's
0: happening? Well, honestly, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, all right. So we all have unmet needs Mm -hmm. from all periods of time in our life. And, but I have to say personally, like when I hear stuff like this, um, and I've shared this before on this podcast that when I think back in my life, the, the most, the biggest Capital T trauma, or the earliest capital T trauma of my life, Mm -hmm. was when I was five. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of ways that I'm consciously aware of that that Mm -hmm. affected every part of my development. And Mm -hmm. of course it did. But so there's this, you know, when I hear things like this, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm sure that there were things that happened you know, zero to four where I had Mm -hmm. unmet needs, because again, that's just the nature of being a human. Mm -hmm. But I get a little extra curious around how things color our development at the at the age of five specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why it's like, oh, the rigid pattern. Got it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That really, really tracks and doesn't surprise me at all, because I'm familiar, actually, to some degree, with the merging pattern, mm-hmm. um, and and I've heard that language, and that that is something that actually really doesn't resonate with me very much. Mm-hmm. But the rigid pattern, even though I don't know, you know, that much about it, is something that I'm like, oh, ding ding ding, ding ding ding, mm-hmm. ding. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, mm-hmm. so that's that's why I ask, and that's kind of what comes up for me when cool. I hear you share that. Yeah,
1: cool. So yeah, we can go into into the rigid and and how that forms and what that looks like one thing I just want to add and I feel like you've probably shared this on past episodes but it feels important as it relates to this that we're talking about because I think like my experience is that of all the people that I've shared this with it's very common to go into the like oh do I remember like a certain thing or time like that it's like we go into trying to rationalize. um, so for example, like let's say somebody really resonates with that reaching, grasping feeling or like there's this void inside that I can't fulfill. It's very uh, common to go into the thinking of, well, did I have anything with breastfeeding or was there any other need that I didn't get fulfilled? And it's really less about like what we're able to recognize and identify. And it's more so that from my experience, the felt sense, trusting the feeling, if that feels relevant and that is pointing to something that you're very familiar with or the way that you relate to yourself in the world, then we can consider like there's probably something that happened or didn't happen, but we don't actually need to put the memory to the thing in order to diagnose right. Um, So I just wanted to share that because it feels you. important.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but that's one of the things that in my limited exposure to the personality patterns, I've I really appreciate and think is really important about it is that it's not so much about kind of where you're coming from. It's about saying, are these the things, the are these the patterns that you find yourself embodying now? Is this mm-hmm. how you're showing up in the world now? And if so, this is, you know, how we can do something different mm-hmm. or about it or, you know, see you where you are. But it's yeah. not so much about, you know, excavating the past. It's about saying you're a human being who's lived mm-hmm. your life and you've been coping in this way and now you're the adult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, starting from where you are. So mm-hmm. yes, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um Okay. So yeah. So the rigid pattern also, because I would imagine I'm not alone in this community and having that be something that resonates even just in name. So can you tell me a little bit about that one?
1: I can feel the curiosity is (laughs) just like, (sighs) yes. So I will self identify that the rigid pattern is the main pattern that I personally run. So I can speak to all the nooks and crannies of it um, in more ways than the other ones. And one last thing I'll preface before I know anyone's on the edge of your seat for the rigid pattern, but this feels important too, is that and this is something that Stephen Kessler, the author, really emphasizes is we are not, I am not the rigid pattern. You are not the rigid pattern. We are not the patterns. They are these masks and these configurations that are blocking us from our true self, from true presence and awareness. So it's, it's interesting because it's like, it's actually like the pattern gets activated when we talk about the pattern because it wants to be seen for all of it. So that, that feels important too. Okay. The rigid pattern. So the rigid pattern forms from around three to five years old. And what we know about children who are being born more recently is that stages of developments are actually shifting so it's not like a clear cutoff between the aggressive pattern which is right before the rigid and the rigid there it's like there's an overlap so the rigid pattern forms from basically it's like underneath this little being wants love and it's taught that the way to get it is to achieve it is to do something to be celebrated is to do something to be seen when it comes to our physical appearance it's what did your family unit and caregivers view as the right way to be it's very much like what is the right way to look to perform in school uh was it better for you to have multiple sports or extracurricular activities during that time, even as a five-year-old, you know, and then it also extends into the community. So the community, the the Western world. So it's, it's interesting too, because there will be many people in certain countries that run certain patterns because it's, it's in culture and it's in society. So This one's all about rules, very black or white thinking and religion. So what religion were you a part of and what was right and what was wrong? And this little one, three to five years old, had to play this game in order to receive love. That was just the way that life became. So they learned how to do that because that was a moment of survival. Because with our attachment figures of our caregivers, it's not like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't get good grades. It's actually a a primal like, oh, I'm going to lose my caregiver, which means death. So, oh, I'm going to die. So, oh, this is the biggest driving force is if I don't want to die, then I have to figure out how to perform and do it the best according to this specific set of rules. And so it's interesting because I'll I'll bring in a personal story real quick with this one. When I dropped out of college and got dreadlocks and moved to Hawaii with a one-way ticket and $500 and sold all my belongings, like you could look at that and be like, that's not rigid. Like that's not the American dream. But for me, the right way was success was to was to have a certain amount of money and to be successful in a certain regard. And so when my YouTube channel exploded and there's hundreds of thousands of people turning in, tuning in, my parents viewed me through the lens of she's made it. She has been successful. And so to the rigid part of me that's there for survival, it was like, oh, I did it. So there's a lot of like... <laughs> It's not just all cookie cutter there. It really depends on our family unit and like all the nuance. Yeah. Mm.
0: Thank you for sharing all this. Yes. It's so juicy. And there's like, I have so many thoughts. One is I appreciate your personal example because this is why, and we'll get into how this relates to food, Mm -hmm. but this is why, you know, like I said, right before we hit record, something that I really love about, The work that I do, which is working with people in their relationship with food is that you can have a hundred people who are all doing the same thing around food Mm -hmm. for a hundred different reasons. Mm -hmm. And it's for exactly that. It's exactly that reasoning is like for one person, success can look like this for another reason for Mm -hmm. another person, it could look like this. And so we're all kind of just shape shifting in the way based on where we got the rules about shape shifting, Mm -hmm. but it can look a lot different, you know, it can look very differently. But we're all kind of just maneuvering.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: I appreciate that a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so that's that's that. Now <laughs> how all of this relates to food. Mm-hmm. So let's say now we're hearing what you're saying. We can identify with you know different parts of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What does this mean or what have you seen? Mm-hmm. In your years of coaching, working with people, mm-hmm. in how this translates to our relationship with food,
1: yeah. it does directly. it's 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 wild, actually, that I'm here on this podcast because about a year or so ago, um i was I was in a position where I was helping a friend out, and I was taking sales calls for her program that was supporting women with overcoming binge eating, um, specifically using like uh, mental techniques. And I was able to, this was like years years after I started studying the survival patterns. And so I was able to notice certain patterns and it was so clear that, that it, it was not the same across the board, but there were clear patterns patterns that were that these women were in operating in and it was like like this work goes so deep that I'm able to recognize just based on the verbiage that the verb the the way that people speak um and the words that they choose it informs me of where they're at and the way that they're viewing their situation and themselves and the world and other people and food and so what i noticed was that the merging pattern was a huge one really feeling that yeah just being in the state of like there there's not enough and when the woman's husband goes out of the house it's like she's immediately turning to the thing because it's just so there and so pervasive and so present at all times that that feeling that she's she's stuck in that configuration and when I say configuration it's like again the body's locked in that reaching that feeling of like ugh, like there's just something missing and something outside of me is the way to fill it. So that was a huge pattern that I noticed and so so then we can get into the the healing each pattern like what do we do about this are you just forever stuck in this feeling of there's a void inside of you your whole life um no one of the ways to there there's a couple things so there's I like to classify it as there's human needs so in this case this person needs to be redirected to their own to their own core to recognize that there's there's not a void there but they also need a healthy level of people being there to get them to that point of I feel full with nourishment. So if this let's just say there's a woman who is in a relationship and she's in a job that's unfulfilling if nothing in her life is providing that feeling of you're nourished and fulfilled, she's actually in reenactment. And actually, this is what most people do in their lives is they find people and jobs and situations that are reinforcing the pattern of, yeah, I will, um, let's say her husband is like, yeah, you'll have physical touch, but you're never going to feel Completely ravished and loved and fulfilled in this relationship. So she's again reenacting in that relationship that there's never going to be quite enough to get fully fully filled. Same thing with her career. Yeah, you love the people that you work with, but the money's not doing it for you. so it's it's never fully enough. And then when it comes to food, you're trying all of these different modalities, and nothing's doing it for you. So she needs to start attracting people and experiences that can can fill that, but she also simultaneously needs to be redirected to notice when she reaches that place of, look, it's full now. Look, this time it's different. It's not the same as when you were younger and you got stuck in not having enough. This time, in this moment with your husband or with the food, look at this time how now you are full. So that her body can start to feel that the need has been met. So that's, that's something.
0: Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I, again, I have a lot of, I feel like these sound, these are like psychological follow up questions. Mm -hmm. So part of my curiosity in hearing that is let's say I'm stuck in a pattern. Okay. 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 What I love about a lot of this and the way that you're explaining it is the way that you tie it back to feeling like we're going to die. This is something that comes up in probably almost every episode. This is why I'm obsessed with brain science is, Mm. is because when we're talking about things like this, so primitive, like our relationship with food, it's not just, you know, am I comfortable? It's, am I safe? Am I going to survive? Mm -hmm. And that's why not just, um, Our relationship with food, but also, you know, the reason that body image can feel so charged and feel like it's Mm -hmm. life or death Mm -hmm. is because exactly this, that is, if we have this belief that we have to look a certain way in Mm -hmm. order to be safe, Mm -hmm. that's why it can go so deep and, Mm -hmm. and feel the way that it feels. Mm -hmm. And so I just, that's what I was thinking before is like all, all of that. So Mm -hmm. now part of what I'm wondering is when you talk about you know, creating a different experience. Mm-hmm. Do you notice, or I guess this is just a question about having that be an experience that can be uh, safe ultimately is if we're, if we're in this pattern, right? Because mm-hmm. we have a belief or a feeling that that's where safety and survival can come from.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do we create safety in mm-hmm. doing something different? Yes. Does that make sense? Okay.
1: Yes, yes, yes. This is why the the survival patterns in this work feels so for me it's just like holy crap it's just a blueprint for understanding things on a more nuanced level um so each pattern has slightly different needs that are their doorway to true safety this is so important when it comes to what i found like working working with people in in coaching and mentorship but also like friendships and also new people that we meet, like being able to, oh, it gets so fun, Lisa, like, because each pattern also has like its own body shape, the way that the energy moves in the body for for your entire life. So like, so that paired with different language based on the different viewpoints, like it's it, you can start identifying this. Anyway, to, to get to safety. So yes, let's use the rigid pattern as the example, because well we'll just leave the merging pattern if you relate to that there's more to learn but the rigid rigid pattern i feel like we both relate to it more and and you've shared also that more people are coming coming from that so yes when you're in the rigid pattern the illusion is that if you just perform better and do better and look better then you will get more and more safe it's it's here's what it is it's the illusion where like you think that once you get there then you will feel The, uh, ah, like I have arrived. I have my dream body, my dream weight, my health, my diet, my, all the things like finally I'll feel safe. That is the illusion. It's very appealing. And we're basically stuck in that. That's, that's what we were taught that life is basically. That's how you find yourself. That's how you find God. That's how you find peace. So that's the appealing illusion, and we get to it's a practice of noticing when is that happening. right? So if I'm laying on my bed for thirty minutes and I notice that I'm thinking about a game plan for how to improve my business or my relationship or my body, then I can have this moment where I pop out and I'm like, oh, 30 minutes just went by and I was just in the illusion that it's going to happen someday once I do and achieve these things first. So the that's why it's helpful to know like what are our tendencies? And I always encourage everyone to go through a like an intake phase, an intake season where like for the next month, just get really acclimated to or not, that's not the word, like really... Um, Uh, understand what, how these things show up and just watch how pervasive it is in your life, because that's, that's our cue. That's where we can then do something different to come back to true safety in those moments. Actually there, I I like to see it as like, there's two things. There's the, in the moment practices that can pop us out of the pattern and come back to safety. But then there's also like the baseline practices that even if we're not crazy in the pattern, we're still doing these practices to build our baseline and expand our capacity to feel more safe. Yeah. So for the rigid pattern, what they really need is to be pointed back to their own internal experience because they got stuck referencing the outside world. So their whole game plan for how to get safety in the illusion is do these things so that based on the external world, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. So they got stuck there. And what they really need is to be directed back. Other people can help them with this of like, hey, what are you noticing in your body? So being directed back to their own core. This is like the classic when you ask someone like, oh, how's your day? How are you feeling? And their eyes roll up and they're thinking about how they're feeling or they're thinking about how their day was versus directly referencing their internal experience, someone who's in the rigid pattern, and there's a spectrum too, um, that's not their go-to. They may not know how to reference their experience. And so there's also a level of attunement that other people can have. Like it actually could be uh, triggering or activating for someone in the rigid pattern if someone says, hey, how are you feeling? No, what are you noticing in your body? It could throw them into stress response because they've been taught that that's not safe. You can't trust what's happening inside. You can only trust what's right. How should you be feeling at this time? Why don't you say that instead? So it's it's a very like graceful process when it comes to guiding someone in the patterns back to safety. But for someone who's in the pattern, there's a lot of self-practices that you can do. Like first noticing, hey, you have five senses hey, what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? What, like, if you look at the things around you, what textures do they have? Can you feel the fabric of the clothes that you're wearing and use that as your doorway? And then you can do things like body scan. So can you notice, like, wiggle your toes and start to bring awareness into your body? Because the rigid pattern is not in the body. They're in the head trying to figure out how to do the right thing so that one day they can feel safe. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> thank you for sharing all of that it's um it's really it's profound and it's it resonates a lot with me personally and I feel like sometimes when I have conversations like this I can I feel like I'm just feeling the like hundreds of people who are just like nodding along with this mm-hmm. Um, and also because these are the exact kind of techniques that come in in this work all the time. Um, and so it's cool because I, it's like, I, I say it from like one angle or come at it from one angle, but we're, Mm -hmm. we end up in the same place of Mm -hmm. feeling into your own body, activating your five senses, just feeling your butt in the chair, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, whatever, however, it feels safe to come back inside the body
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: in a lot of ways that is, that is the work. And I, Mm -hmm. and I appreciate what you're saying about, it being really a graceful process it's not like it's going to be like an overnight or like an immediate like now I'm here I'm out of the pattern Mm -hmm. but it's it's a practice and it's a process and Mm -hmm. I think this is particularly relevant when it comes to body image Mm -hmm. and and this could be around food as well but body image is that for many of us it's like it's always out there it's always in the future it's always outside of me I have to look mm-hmm. a certain the I'll be happy when thing mm-hmm. and then we loop in that forever mm-hmm. and and it's exactly what you're saying is first notice it mm-hmm. and this is this is again like things that come up here very often is you can't do anything that you're not aware of mm-hmm. so the first thing is with no judgment at all mm-hmm. is just check out like what mm-hmm. are the pat what am I noticing about mm-hmm. the way that I am in relationship with my body oh, I always think that I want it to be different. I mm-hmm. always think that if it's it's just a little bit more out there and if mm-hmm. I just keep working and reaching mm-hmm. right under that. And I think this is an important thing to discuss because in our conscious brain or the way that we're consciously talking about it to ourselves, it's like, I'll be happy when.
1: Mm-hmm. But something
0: that I clarify all the time is you in your 5% conscious brain might be thinking I'll be happy when,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: your survival brain thinks I will be safe when. And that's why it feels so charged and so scary. And like you mm-hmm. can't put it down, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just like walk away from the mirror. Mm-hmm. It feels like, no, no, no. I have to, I have to, I have to. Mm-hmm. And the clinging to it is so intense. But mm-hmm. so what you're saying is notice that when
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: present. And then take a moment to practice just coming back into here and now,
1: mm-hmm. where there
0: is no saber tooth tiger. There is no, there is nothing life threatening coming after you. You mm-hmm. are, you are safe to take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. And just continuing that practice.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's really starting to notice. It's like, it's, it's such a practice because like, so I've been seeing um, somatic therapists, energy healers for years now. And it took me months and months and months to feel my feet, to feel my feet. Instead of thinking, oh yeah, I have feet, they're down there. So <laughs> so what I'm about to say, it's not like you snap your fingers and you're there, but it's re- it's to start the journey of, of relating to yourself and your body from the inside of like, oh yeah, I can feel that in this moment, there is no threat. I'm using my eyes to look around the room. I'm using my body to sense like and really check. Don't just let your mind and your protector be like, yeah, yeah, we're good. No threat. But like allowing your body to get that message, that's the journey. And then I also wanted to share just based on what you were just saying. Um, for me, there's been a, a helpful map. It's kind of like parts work, but it's like the patterns that we're talking about, the merging pattern, the rigid pattern, other patterns, um, those are protection, the protectors. And then underneath that, like you were pointing to, is the primal young part that's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And the protector is like, no, 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 I got you. We're going to think our way out of it. Or the merging pattern is like, no, 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 I got you. This other person has the answer. We've, we'll, we'll figure it out. And so it's it's the part, the survival. And then the protector is the pattern. And then where we're viewing from is awareness. And where some of the more heady patterns get stuck is viewing from the protector or viewing from like a little step up, like the manager that's like, oh, look, we're in the pattern. Here's what we do to get out of the pattern. And it's like not quite viewing from awareness that's kind and gentle. So I wanted Thank to share you. that map.
0: Yes, I really appreciate that. And that, again, is something that really resonates because that's that's what we do as let's call ourselves heady people that we get heady about things. And then we do that thing where it's like <laughs> we, we attempt con- connecting with the body through the lens of the head. And then it becomes very like, okay, so how do I, how do I do this? Right. And what's the good way to do it? And it becomes that that managing again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And part of the reason I'm over here, like laughing when you talk about your feet is because I've shared on this podcast before that, Um, I've been working with my somatic therapist for years. And when I first started working with her and she would ask me like, where do you feel things in your body? And I'd be like, fuck off, Carol. Like, I I don't even know how to begin answering that question. And now, you know, it's been years and I've come a long way, but I think it was like last week or something like really, really recent. And she asked if I could like breathe into all the way down to my feet. And I was like immediately aware that I was like, I am completely disconnected at least in that moment from Mm -hmm. almost the whole lower half of my body and my feet felt so far away Mm -hmm. and it was just and so I say and I I like to share things like that because it's like there I'm not there like I'm not you know like I'm I'm working on this all the time and Mm -hmm. it is it's this constant practice and journey and sometimes it's more accessible than others and that's just like what it is you know but but I think all of all of that is really important terms of just the the ongoing practice. Hello friend, it's me. Thank you for listening to the first part of this episode. The second part and our continued conversation will air next week for part two. I hope you enjoy.